I say I started studying late. What I mean by that is that although I was in high school and uh, learning the performing arts, I didn't really consider it a profession. And so I was learning what was given to us freely by federally funded programs in school, but I never really considered it as to be something that I could possibly do. It was never intense training or like private coaches or anything like that. I didn't really understand the world that is, uh, you know, the world of like studying this so that it could be a career. It was just an extracurricular activity for me. So I didn't start studying seriously until I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. And then I was like, oh, wait, this can be a career. Oh, my gosh. And that's when I fell in love with it. Welcome to the Knowledge Nights podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Brandon Lee Sears. Uh, he's an actor, singer, dancer. He's a part of theater, television, film. So all the creative arts that you can think about, he's been there, done that. Uh, currently performing in Come From West in London's West End. Uh, his theatre exploits include Dirty Dancing, My Fair Lady and some of the works from William Shakespeare like Hamlet, King Lear and Othello. And to talk about films, he's also been a part of Disney's Artemis Fowl, Greta and Cinderella. Uh, so welcome Brandon, uh, happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, so if you could, if you could take us through your journey uh, right from uh, childhood uh, you know i've read about how you've come across adversities in your growing years uh, and you've faced them all and then come down to what you are right now so just take us through that journey um well again like you said my name is brandon lee sears uh i grew up in a town called evansville indiana in the uh, united states of america um, i'm from america but i live in london now uh, and I grew up with uh, three younger brothers. So I have a twin, an identical twin brother uh, okay. who is uh, my best friend in the world. And uh, we have two younger brothers. And uh, growing up, uh, I was uh, growing up, I was a foster kid. So uh, at around the age of 10 years old, me and my three brothers, we went into foster care. And um, Kind of around that time, just before we went into foster care, when things were really rough as a kid um, and things weren't going so well with my family, uh, my parents weren't quite equipped to take care of my three brothers. And so a lot of times we were uh, around with, you know, no, not much to do. Uh, and we grew up very poor. And so luckily there were uh, performing arts programs that were funded, uh, federally funded. And so we were allowed, I was allowed at school to participate in singing uh, lessons just, you know, in public school, just with, you know, teachers and also instrumental lessons as well. And uh, I started studying the cello. And so uh, I really developed kind of a love for the, the, the performing arts. And for some reason, it felt like it was just uh, separate from me. Like whenever I would study, uh, and practice the cello or whatever I sang. I just, uh, it was fun. I loved it. And it was kind of a savior. It was a way for me to kind of, um, I guess, have a release for, I think the what was stressful and a traumatic time um, whenever before we went into foster care. Uh, and then once I went into foster care with a beautiful woman who uh, was a lovely, intelligent, strong, 
passionate uh, foster mother who uh, continued to provide us for, with everything that we ever needed. And also she not only did that, but she made sure that I went to, that I could show up to every, uh, as, as I, as my interest and as my love for the performing arts grew, she made sure that I was able to get to every rehearsal and kind of really, you know, take on board the discipline and the training that's necessary to really, to really, I guess, progress um, in, in academia, but also in the performing arts. And so it, it, although I loved it, it wasn't quite something that I was really, that I considered it could be a profession for me until I graduated high school and uh, went to a school for the performing arts. Uh, luckily, the performing arts served as this catalyst for academic growth. And so when I graduated high school, I was able to get scholarships, um, won several scholarships to study. Uh, uh, and I studied opera and voice originally. Then I transferred to study uh, musical theater and dance. And I won a scholarship there to study at the Boston Ballet. And after that, uh, after I studied at Boston Ballet for a while, I was absolutely sold on classical dance. So I spent most of my 20s um, performing in uh, classical ballet companies as an apprentice and training in classical ballet dance. I started, I start, I say I started studying late. What I mean by that is that although I was in high school and uh, learning the performing arts, I didn't really consider it a profession. And so I was learning what was given to us freely by federally funded programs in school, but I never really considered it as to be something that I could possibly do. It was never intense training or like private coaches or anything like that. I didn't really understand the world that is, uh, you know, the world of like studying this so that it could be a career. It was just an extracurricular activity for me. So I didn't start studying seriously until I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. And then I was like, oh, wait, this can be a career. Oh, my gosh. And that's when I fell in love with it. And then I started really putting all of my time, effort, and energy into singing, acting, and dancing. And then that's when the world kind of opened up for me. Uh, I spent some time studying classical ballet companies. And after that, uh, I went on to study, uh, to perform professionally in regional theater companies. Um, and then in 2013, after I guess 13 years or so of working, uh, I got my first West End, no, I moved to London. And then I got my first West End professional show in 2016, I started it. And I've been performing in the West End ever since. And, uh, and I absolutely love what I do. I think that's a fantastic story, you know, coming from uh, somebody who has to take care of your siblings, uh, get into foster care and to get out of all that and, you know, just try and make sure that you excel at whatever you do. I think that's a fantastic story. Uh, in, you know, performing arts, uh, something that you took up very seriously and now it is your profession. How much of help was there from your educational system that you could concentrate on academics separately as well as focus on performing arts. Did the education system help you? Oh, that's really interesting that you asked that. I don't know if the, if I, for me, the education system 
did help me. Um, whenever, before we went into foster care, uh, my parents weren't always around. Um, and then there were lots of, there were drugs, dr there was drug abuse uh, in my family. And so for me, the education system in going to school, it, it served as a safe haven for me. Um, and so I found that like my teachers were kind of, not only did my mom and dad, not only were my mom and dad patriarch, matriarch, but also the teachers um, in the education system. I looked up to them. They were also kind of helping to nurture me. I looked at them as, I don't know, I guess, you know, these kind of motherly, fatherly figures, especially the women who I saw present as um, teachers in my life. And so they were helpful and encouraged and seeing something in me, um, a spark talent and encouraging that, supporting me in that way. And so I think it was the performing arts and this kind of finding something in the education system, finding something that I really enjoyed. And once I connected with that and that landed, then all the rest kind of fell into place. Uh, mainly because I was, for one, I was the oldest of my three brothers. So I was already, I already had to take on a sense of responsibility that I think, I don't think normally a child of my seven years old has to take on. But also I was, because I enjoyed the performing arts, I, was, I found myself over, overachieving. And so some of that was overcompensation. Some of that was like a need for thinking that I had to do well in order for someone to love me, which can be a dysfunctional behavior. But a lot of it was also because of um, the performing arts and just and having an outlet of something that I could connect with at school that I loved, that I could wake up in the morning and go to. So in that, in that way, I think the education system served as a safe haven for me. That's nice. I, I like how you mentioned the teachers, uh, you know, played a major role in, you know, channelizing your energy and focus into the performing arts. And I believe you would like to just uh, return the favor, which is why you're teaching uh, dance as well. I mean, you've done your MA in professional practice and dance technique uh, pedagogy from Middlesex. Uh, so tell, tell us something about that. How, how did you get into actually teaching uh, the performing arts rather than just being a professional uh, performing artist? I've always been, interestingly, I've always been teaching. So even when I was, even when I was younger and, uh, and, and didn't really have a bit of training at all, I was, <laughs> I was correcting my brothers and trying to boss them around. <laughs> and uh, we would be in the, uh, we would have small performances for my, uh, for my foster mom, for my mom. So um, as you walked it, as you walked up the stairs, there was kind of this kind of, I guess this window uh, that was a partition out of the wall and we would stand on the stairs and do talent shows for each other when I was about 10 years old and uh, so I would choreograph um, shows or set up skits with my brothers and we would perform <laughs> for my mom whenever we were kids so I think I've been performing since I, mean, I think I've been teaching since I was 10 years old just because I like to boss you know I like I liked to boss my brothers around and kind of act as a teacher for them. Um, but I started, you know, taking teaching seriously, I guess, as uh, when I, I've just always taught. I always love it. I've always loved connecting in that way and giving back. I started taking it serious 
enough to study pedagogy whenever I was um, in a musical called Motown the Musical in the West End. And um, I loved teaching, but I found that that although I was teaching, there were some learners that I wasn't able to reach. I felt like um, the tools that I had weren't quite enough to reach every every child um, that I was was teaching young, young kids at that time. And so I just figured that if I went back to school and learned something else um, about teaching that I could kind of contribute more. I absolutely love connection and contribution and and community and a sense of community and family. And so um, whenever I'm teaching, I just love engaging with others and then knowing that I'm contributing something and then to see someone to effectively manage or be a part of someone's progress is just something that makes my heart uh, sing. That, that's half of it. And then the other half is I want to continue to get better at my craft. So I know that by teaching, acting, singing, and dancing, um, I know I'm going to get better at it. Teach what you would have to learn. So that's the other part of it. Right. So it's about giving back to the community what they gave to you in the first place, I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's about sharing. It's about sharing that, giving back. And it's about also that connection that happens whenever that sharing and that giving uh, takes right. place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and and I do remember like, you know, I can just, I do remember that the teachers, teachers, um, and that's not only teachers in the academic school system, but just teachers were always the ones who had an effect on my life. So absolutely. Right. So there's one question that always uh, intrigues me, you know, can art or performing art, can it ever be taught or is it something that's inborn? I mean, you are a teacher, so I'm sure it can be taught, but how is it different from, uh, from math or science or history or geography? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, (laughs) I don't know how to articulate how it's different from math, science or history or those, those things. I can only... I can only tell you, like, I think that anything that anyone enjoys or loves, um, it's, e- it's much easier for someone to grasp, grasp something that they can be made to enjoy. Um, and, I, and I think that that's whether, whether it's math, science, history, or the performing arts. Whenever I, I feel like whenever the person learning has an active part in how they learn, when they're given a sense of choice, when they feel uh, belongingness or connection, and if they feel like they can do it, if they have a sense of competence, um, then, then it's possible to learn anything. I've learned that like not everyone learns the same way. So although I did well in school, I'm quite analytical and I'm a linear thinker. Not everyone, I, re- I actually believe that people have um, preferences for learning. I know some people don't actually believe that, but I, I believe that people do. And so I think that you have to, it's every individual is different. There are, billion, there are billions of ways of learning and, and a true teacher knows how to connect with someone. I hope I'm not getting away from the subject. A true teacher knows how to connect with someone, find out what they're passionate about, make the connection with whatever subject it is with that learner, and then that learner will be able to learn. I think that anyone can learn math. I do. I think that anyone can learn science or history and anyone can learn the performing arts. Now, 
the proclivities that someone will have, like, and how they're, how they're able to kind of, how they're able to absorb it and make it work for them will change. There are some people who have a slight, you know, a talent or knack uh, for some subjects other, more than others. However, that's only half of it. So like, it doesn't matter how talented someone is in the performing arts, it doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything, especially when you're talking about pursuing a professional career until you put in the work. And so that's uh, the performing arts, that's math, that's science, that's history. Right. Absolutely. I think the base, the baseline remains the same, whether it's your standard school subjects or it's performing arts. So, uh, so as a teacher, uh, what do you think is uh, the, the most important skill that's required? Is it, like you said, is it knowing what a student wants to learn and how a student will adapt to learning that particular subject or is it something else? I think, uh, and are you asking me as a teacher? Yeah, as a teacher. As an educator. Mm. So as an educator, what I'm continuing to learn is the most important thing is that an educator, a teacher has to be continually continue, continually learning themselves. Right. Uh, and that that's like, that's most important because like, how can I, how can I simulate information, um, information being whatever it is that I'm teaching, how can I simulate information and then share that information without, without uh, constantly observing, responding, and learning from the environment that I'm in and that I'm teaching it? And so you, I think that, uh, you know, I would love to be considered a master teacher someday. Uh, and to me, a master teacher is someone who doesn't just share information, but who teaches someone how to learn what they're teaching and gives them all the tools so that they can't, so that and, until they, so to give someone all the tools and necessary skills and abilities so that they no longer need me. I think that is, that's, that's an amazing skill and ability to have as a teacher. And I think that's most important. How can I teach someone how to teach themselves to learn any subject? that's just re that really excites me and it's so different for 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 everyone especially when you're talking about the performing arts i think that's a brilliant point i think most teachers fail in that aspect you know it's just a one-way communication and that's the end of the story but uh, i think very well put that unless you can transfer that that knowledge in in which the student can then go on and teach further i think that's when the the circle of education is sort of uh, complete. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. I remember uh, one time I was teaching. This was before I really started like studying and teaching at all. And I was dealing with this uh, group of um, this group of students. They were they were young. They were probably around seven, between seven and ten years old. And I just wasn't getting through with them. There were behavior problems. They weren't really keen with what I was teaching them, although they, were, they would have fun sometimes, but their behavior was horrible. And then one day I just, uh, this was very early on, one day I just sat them down and I just forgot to ha ever have a conversation with them. And I think it was because of their age. 
And so we just started talking and like the stuff that came up in that group, I found they just kind of, you know, they just opened up to me about a lot of stuff that I didn't know was going on in their lives. And they were, and they, and not only did they open up to me about things that were happening um, and going on that kind of made me aware of where they were coming from, but they also, I learned how to teach them and just talking to them. Um, and so not until I was able to open up and to be open to, to an experience rather than being so on the front foot and direct and straightforward and feeling like I had to offer information, not, in, not until I was open and vulnerable enough to hear where they were coming from, was I able to really learn how to engage with them so that they could be in a, so that, so that a, in turn I was creating an environment that was suitable for them to learn. Interesting. Uh, and what what excites you the most about teaching? That one one thing which makes you, you know, go to your students every day and uh, teach your heart out. Uh, connecting and discovery. So I love. I mean, I'll go every day just to connect. I love people. I love hanging out with people. I love learning from others, and I love insp feeling inspired talking to others. That that excites me, whether or not uh, whether or not you know who whoever it is, um, whether or not I'm in the in a teaching setting or not. Um, the other part is seeing someone grow, and watching a person grow and learning from their growth. That excites me. You know, standing in the wings and watching other actors when I'm on stage that excites me. Uh, and he, and whenever I'm rehearsing a show rehearsing a show for me is one of the most exciting parts of performing and performing is lovely because we get some applause and you know you get a pat on the back <laughs> mm -hmm. whereas teaching teachers teachers and um I guess other jobs you don't get to have someone applaud you know your work all the time <laughs> that's right. the beauty of performing uh but yeah yeah I, I'd say connecting and um and and seeing progress or dis as, through discovery or as discovery Nice. So like, like you said, when you're performing, you know whether you're good or bad immediately when the audience applauds you or doesn't. But I think teaching, it's like a slow burn. It's over the years that you understand whether you're doing well when you see your students do well and grow in life. Interesting. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, but I will, I, will, I will have to say to you, though, even sometimes, sometimes the audience applauds you and you still don't know whether or not you did good or bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at least you get the applause and the praise. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. So, uh, so any uh, books that you would that you personally uh, refer to, or you would like to recommend to to people who would want to be teachers of tomorrow? Any specific references? Um, the because I never really consider myself a teacher. I consider myself. I mean, I do consider myself an educator because I consider myself like an actor, singer, dancer, performer, and teacher. I, I don't have books specifically on teaching, but I, I have some books that have made an impact on my life as far as my sense of well-being, personal development. Um, because, I, because I came from a broken home, uh, was poor, was a foster kid, I often suffered from like self-limiting beliefs and like low self-esteem. And, uh, and there were several books that I read that I've read in my life that kind of changed they were they were uh, a catalyst for 
just a, they planted a seed in, in me where there was a change of thought enough for me to follow on that change of thought and kind of upgrade my life, integrate habits into my life so that I could change um, what I was creating. Uh, and the first of those was Deepak Chopra's um, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Uh, I've never really known about meditation beforehand or, or experiencing gratitude and giving. And, uh, and in this book, I, I actually forget what all the seven spiritual laws are right now. But in this book, uh, Deepak Chopra talks about gratitude. He talks about experiencing silence. He talks about experiencing like pure potentiality. You know, this, this kind of sense that uh, in every one of us, there's an infinite potential. That ch changed my world. And that was, that's important to have, I feel like any, every teacher has to understand that in every one of your students, no matter what walk of life they come from, is infinite potential, pure potential at the source of what we don't even know is, you know, that kind of God spark, what people call God, we don't really, no one really knows what that is. That infinite potential, right is in every single person. And in that infinite, pure potentiality lies uh, all the possibility that ever was. That would just blew my mind. That's just so exciting for me. That actually, no matter where I am, I always have a choice to begin creating the life that I want for myself. That's, that's exciting stuff for me. Um, so that's one book. Another book um, is A Course in Miracles. Uh, it's called A Course in Miracles. It's just a spiritual, kind of a spiritual book as well around love and connecting with, connecting with each other, letting go of fear and connecting with all of my brothers and sisters on this earth so that I can actually truly come into uh, a knowing that we're all one. That was really important for me. Um, and then another book as a little, it's not even long as a, uh, a book called The Four Agreements by a gentleman named Don Miguel Ruiz. And I think Don Miguel Ruiz was a shaman and the four, agreement, the four agreements, he expounds on the four agreements, which are one, uh, the four agreements are be impeccable with your words. Um, don't make assumptions. Be impeccable with your words. Don't make assumptions. Uh, oh my goodness, I can't. I can't think of the other two. I should I, know the other two. <laughs> I, they'll come to me now. They're yeah, not that's, coming that's, to me now because I'm talking yeah. to you. But anyways, the four agreements. I know them. Hold on. Let me let me think. The, um, be impeccable with your words. Always do your best. Uh, never make any assumptions. And the the fourth one will come to me. Someone you can Google it. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Right. I think. Uh, yeah, even in the first book that you mentioned where, you know, everyone has infinite potential. I think Steve Jobs has a very good quote where he says that everything around you was made by uh, people that are no smarter than you. So I think that's, mm, yeah. so I think that's very important. You know, you, a lot of us are uh, criminally undermine our own potential and uh, that's something that we need to all work on. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I absolutely agree. Right. So I think you've spoken a lot about education, learning, teaching. Let's talk about dance because that's something that that's your life right now. So let's talk about any dance performance that you've been a part of. So how do you basically go about designing a complete dance performance? Mm. So it's interesting you ask me that question. What I have to say is that as a as a dancer, as a singer, as an actor, I've 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 not necessarily been a maker okay. and what I mean by that is um, uh, been involved with the on the kind of production side of like creating a piece I have to say that I've always loved I used to battle against this and I used to judge it but actually I love uh, taking someone else's vision it's just what I and, and, and kind of seeing how I interpret that vision to bring it to life so Creators do that as well. But um, normally what happens if you're talking about a dance production is that oh, there's so much to think about. Um, if I were to think about a dance, a dance performance, how it comes about, I mean, you have the creation of it, which is a vision. Uh, mm -hmm. And depending on what type of dance performance it is, you have a choreographer and a creator of that dance mm -hmm. performance. And then and you get, and you have dancers, those people who, um, who dance the piece or, you know, are the enactment of your vision uh, coming, coming alive. The one thing that I will say is that like, it's not only about the creation, it's about the discipline and the training that happens outside so that you can be technically proficient enough to, um, to, embody someone else's vision and bring it to fruition. And that takes so much, it takes so much, it doesn't take so much thought. It just takes the ability to be, to feel so confident what, in, in what you're doing that you're able to, I guess, uh, take on board someone's vision and then interpret it, see it as your own. Um, and so I don't know if that's answered your question, but that's kind of, that's kind of how I see that exchange between choreographer and dancer or creator, uh, along with the people who are helping to embody a vision or to embody uh, or to bring to life a production. Um, there's, right. there's first there's a vision, and then there's all this other stuff that happens. You know, uh, connecting with others, teamwork, um, and figuring all that out, and then the discipline and training that's necessary to kind of put it into a rehearsal process to, to see it come to life. Right, right. So what according to you is a is a good dance performance? If you had to say judge somebody else's performance, what is it oh, that uh, what is it that you focus on? Is it expressions? Is it the actual skill of dance? Is it about mm. connecting with the audience? For, for me, it's about connection. For me, it's about an emotional connection. It's about right. I, I used to, I think that there's sometimes something that's so beautiful. It's a number of things. It depends on what you're going for and what you want. Like, I mean, there are some times that, you know, I just want to see something beautiful. Like I studied ba ballet for so many years because I just thought it was so aesthetically pleasing for me to see this, you know, to see people yeah. um, create these beautiful shapes and lines. And so at right. the beginning of my dance career, it was all about trying to build up the, my own ability 
and skill set enough to create these beautiful shapes and lines. And I love this sense of control to be in so in control of your body that you can create this this beauty, this this aesthetically beautiful, beautifully looking, you know, uh, work. And then, and then it started to change and, and become more about emotion for me and, and storytelling and how can, and how can I, how do we connect? And you, you start to add music to this and that's really what it is. Like you can see someone who's a beautiful dancer, but then once you add music um, and then you have an emotional, real human experience, that's what a beautiful performance is. Now, when someone combines all of that, I mean, that's like, that's awesome. You know, when you have something that just looks good, it's technically proficient, it's astounding to watch and takes your breath away. But on top of it, you have all of this kind of sensory, these, this sensory experience, right. um, then, then, then that's really awesome. Along with a story, you know, drama, right. conflict. Right. I, I get your point. I think it's not about certain specific uh, parameters. It's about the entire experience that sort of, you know, that if, if you can emotionally connect with it, becomes a good performance. If it doesn't, it just falls flat. So I understand. Absolutely. I mean, we all watch, watch dances and uh, we can all relate to what you just said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as a, as a performer, uh, I'm sure you have your ups and downs. So how do you, how do you get through them? What keeps you going as a performer? Mm. I'm, I'm sure you'll have performances where, you know, the audience just doesn't like it. And then you'll have some performances where there's applause that just doesn't stop. So how do you get through that and what keeps you going? Um, the interesting thing about once you make a professional career out of something that you love, <laughs> is that you start to experience the opposite <laughs> and you start to experience the contrast. That is, uh, you know, what, something that what used to be an extracurricular activity and used to be a way of releasing and fun. Uh, when you start to uh, add monetary value to it <laughs> and it's your livelihood, it takes on all kinds of new aspects that you never thought that it would. Uh, that's, that's what gets uh, becomes difficult sometimes, you know, is that, you know, this thing that I love this performing when I have to do it eight shows a week and it becomes really exhausting. How do I, how do I keep this sense of reverence um, toward it? Um, things that be, that's difficult. And so I think the, the most important thing, um, and, and that's just one part of it, like life happens. Sometimes you know, this is as a performer, this is in any profession, you just have things that happen in life that, uh, that are difficult to take. You experience, one experiences loss or grief, um, you know, uh, pandemic uh, changes in life that we're not ready for. And, and then that's when I think that it's really important to have a, a really strong sense of core values, uh, a really strong sense of self and a way to kind of um, stay connected to uh, source or what is a sense of well-being. 
and and I think that's different for different people. For me, it's connecting, it's trying to connect with what, it's trying to connect with what we all want. And what I realized was that like, what I've realized is that with all the goals that I've ever had and a lot of the goals that I've ever had, I've reached, I, I've, I've actually reached a lot of goals in my life. Um, but every time I reach a goal, it's never as um, invigorating as I thought. You know, a lot of times I think we set goals and we think that we, and we set goals with this feeling of once I arrive at this place or once I get this, it will change me or it will make me happy. And I've realized now with, with being, with mainly with this, you know, with a career that I once only ever dreamed of, that when you receive and you, when you uh, and when you reach a goal or you get a desire, um, the next day you're still yourself. <laughs> We're still who we are. And so I've tried to connect. I've tried to put practices into my life that connect me with peace, love, joy, and the sense of prosperity or abundance. And when when one can connect with those things that cause that, and you know what those habits are, for me, it's meditation. For me, it's making sure that no matter what, even when a day is horrible, sitting down, meditating, concentrating on the here and now, and building up, uh, building up habits in my life that, that keep me grounded, give me a sense of space so that my thoughts don't run around with me, you know, so that I don't run off with my thoughts and uh, connecting with a sense of, some people call it spirituality, some people call mm -hmm. it God, some people call it love, some people call it all kinds of different things. For me, it's the sense of connecting with well-being. It's well-being, it's goodness, it's love. And the more that I can build habits into my day that keep me connected to that source, then, then, then you can overcome challenges, you can draw meaning from challenges. Sometimes life is, sometimes life does not feel good, but if you can come out on the other end, grateful for the experience, I know that sounds really, sounds seemingly insensitive for some, because when you're talking about losing a loved one, it's hard to think about how you could ever be grateful for that experience. But what I mean is being able to have space around an experience enough to know that I'm gonna be okay, this too shall pass and looking back on everything that you shared with that person with a sense of reverence, respect, and gratitude. If we can always find our way back to connecting with, with, with that, I think, I think it doesn't matter what happens, um, we're okay. Yeah, there, there are some times when this profession gets really hard. It's extremely competitive. Oh, it's extremely competitive. You get so many no's, you know, I get so much rejection. And I've just learned now it's actually a habit to just continue on in spite of the rejection, in spite of the downfall, in spite of the trials and tribulations. Right. I think I, uh, I had a look at your video about you know, how to overcome rejections uh, mm -hmm. that you had posted on your personal blog as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So despite all the, all the rejections, all the downfalls, what, what are the most exciting thing about your profession as a dancer? What was the most exciting and, and the flip side was the least exciting as well. Is it yeah. the discipline, waking up early in the morning, 
<laughs> so, I mean, the discipline, the discipline's not, the rejection, I think, is what is, um, is the downfall, you know, because in order to have a career, especially a successful career, you have to audition a lot. You have to seek out loads of opportunities um, that, that many you won't be successful at. Um, you'll get way more no's than you get yeses. <clears throat> and that's, that, that's difficult, especially, <clears throat> especially if you haven't, if one hasn't learned to like, not uh, to not how to equate their sense of worth with the opportunities that we have. I think for such a long time and still do sometimes that I'm finding myself, um, you know, judging who I am and where I am based on the career that I have or based on the success, success that I'm currently experiencing. And um, when you just get no, that's, that's difficult. However, when you get the yes, it's just so awesome. <laughs> when you uh, audition, you know, uh, eight times for a show and then you get a call from your agent that's like, guess what? Here's an offer. You know, this is the role you're going to be playing next if you so, you know, decide to take it. It's, that's just, there's nothing like it. And, I, and it's, um, it can be slightly addicting. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, the yes, that's the best part. Um, the applause, the people you meet. Oh, the people you meet. I mean, the performing arts, like the people in the performing arts are just out there, you know, we're wild, um, crazy, loving, calm, beautiful human beings. And like, you know, you get, obviously, you get your, the run of the, you get your run of the mill, the different types of personalities and and uh, people that you come with, come that you get to connect with. And, uh, and so I love that. A sense of teamwork, the yeses, and a sense of teamwork, working with others to, uh, to see a vision come to fruition. That's just the best part of this, of this industry. And to, and to be able to do it and to work with people to, to like, entertain and to connect with others emotionally and the cause like this um inspiration that suggests there's just nothing like it it's just it's self-fulfilling and then and then and then if you combine it with teaching you get another perspective that's just just pretty awesome right i think that's a very uh, prudent combination you know teaching and performing and teaching i think the, the connections that you make will be phenomenal uh, right through uh any yeah, myths yeah. any myths you would like to bust about performing arts you know somebody sitting on the outside will think it's all glitz and glamour easy to do larger than life mm. i'm sure it's not that yeah i mean i mean that's the myth isn't it like that this is that like i love getting on stage every day myth not true <laughs> <laughs> like you, what you do is so fun it's not always fun myth busted it's not always fun at all sometimes it's really difficult when your body hurts you know and you know you feel like you can't walk and you've got to get up early and go train um myth once you get uh, once you start working you're going to continue working like once you perform like once you get a west end gig or once you get on broadway like you've made it no you haven't 
that's a myth. Like I know people who worked and never worked again and, you know, decided to change careers. It's extremely competitive. Um, so that's definitely a myth. Um, and, and I think another myth is that like, another myth is that it's just so, that it's so different from any other job the performing arts. And that's just not true either. You still have to continually train. You still have to have ex an extreme amount of discipline. Um, you still have to, you know, I just think, yeah, treat it with respect um, and treat it like a business. Um, but like, I am my own, I am my business. And so I've got to invest in myself. I've got to uh, be responsible with myself and I've got to work with others to take inventory uh, of where I am and yeah, and, and, and all that that comes along with it. So I guess, yeah, those would be some, some common myths that I, that I would bust. Right. It's not as easy as, as it looks clearly. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Right. Right. So cool. So we have spoken about your performing arts, you've spoken about education. Now let's like just to close things out, let's put it all together, right? Imagine your Wikipedia page, say 25, 30 years down the line. What how would you want it to look like? What would you want to be in there? Oh, um, so I have some goals. <laughs> I have some, um, yeah, I have some, some goals and some dreams. Uh, I haven't performed on Broadway yet. So I, I, I like to affirm that, you know, I'm a working actor on Broadway, a principal role, winning Tony Awards, you know, Olivier Award winner, uh, right. and performing more roles in film as well. So those things at the moment. Uh, I teach, I, I Although my career started out strongly as dance, I also act and sing as well, and, and, and I teach acting and, and these things as well. So I'm always learning and continually growing, but I have some, some major, major goals that will happen. Hear me. Uh, and because, you know, I, I really truly believe that if you can uh, conceive it, and if you can really, really truly believe it, then you can achieve it. And so definitely, definitely some, hopefully some things, uh, some dreams and visions and goals that I have for myself, you'll see fulfilled. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally, totally gunning for it. I mean, probably one day when you are at the Tonys, I'll be there, you know, I know this, this guy Brandon has spoken <laughs> nice. to him a few years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So just last thoughts. Uh, you know, just summing up everything that we've spoken so far, you know, we spoke about uh, your childhood to how you uh, grew up through all the adversities. Uh, you are a, a performing artist now. You're also giving back to the community through education as an educationer, teaching uh, students the skills of performing arts. Uh, so we are actually working towards, you know, uh, making sure that the education system doesn't fail its students, right? Uh, and while it, while your teachers and the education system sort of supported you through your journey uh, in the performing arts, there are so many students who do not get to do what they want to do. They are forced through a stream of subjects that they never would, that they never like. And, you know, it just stunts their growth. So your thoughts on the education system of today and 
the education system of tomorrow if you were in charge how would you change the education system what would what changes would you bring in place oh goodness um i would i would i would go back to kind of teaching uh, a lot of practical skills uh skills that like people don't really necessarily have anymore like uh things that i would wish someone had taught me like how to plant <laughs> a garden you know how to get into the earth um practical skills like building you know things like this i think that they're not given uh because we automate things and because the ai we don't teach these skills anymore but i think that like sometimes these skills like of like of building things of create of creating and creativity you know problem solving that's what's important about it um not necessarily right. building in itself not necessarily like cuz i'm going to have to build a house or build something or you know be a carpenter or or, or anything like that it's just about seeing a problem making decisions myself seeing solutions and being in charge of that and being in charge of that and i think that like i just don't see how you know uh by teaching people to memorize and learn by rote teaches these skills i'm not just, i'm not it's not it's not saying that it's not necessary or that it doesn't have some place but where's the problem solving in that like when i left high school like there are some things that i just never needed to know again and i would never but i really wish that someone would have taught me how to one manage my finances like some people do learn this but i wish i would have learned it in school because my parents weren't teaching me like manage my finances solve problems be innovative learn how to see a problem and adjust learn how to communicate with people learn how to work with people to uh to see vision and to sense it took me the longest time to because i did very well in school and and that's because i knew how to write something down learn it write something down study until i learned it and it took me when i got out of school a sense of creativity and a sense of like seeing a problem and having an offshoot of thought that not only solved that problem but opened up something new and innovative um those are the people who are offering the greatest amount of service right now you know um Jeff Bezos Steve Jobs Bill Gates I'm just mentioning you know several, some people you know uh and I I recognize now that those are like all white men but like there are more there there are more people than that but like who are offering amazing service and you know Oprah Winfrey Oprah Winfrey like the people who are offering the greatest amount of service to the greatest amount of people i mean they're using a lot of skills that like and that we didn't really learn in high school um and so i would say the the number one thing is just to have a uh, think about what we honor as higher higher so the hierarchy of it all um and then just boom just tearing it down it's a dominant structure that is like been fed by you know by um a very white male perspective and lineage for years and so i just think if we start honoring some other perceptions and forms of thought and uh working with create the creativity in the room i think that we could really i don't know that's how i see education you know uh honoring the individual and and teaching the individual what the individual would have to learn rather than just a whole bunch of this dominant structure 
that places um, importance on skills that a lot of people don't use. Right. I think it's all about education being more inclusive. You know, like you said, it's dominated by white males. But, you know, when you have the other races and communities come in and in terms of languages, in terms of skills, you know, uh, it's not just the math, science, tech students that that need to be spoken about. It's all these guys who want to do, uh, you know, professional arts or, uh, you know, try innovating different things and, you know, making a change in the world. Uh, I think our education system needs to embrace that and, that's what's kind of missing today. Of course, absolutely. Like we don't even honor feeling. We don't even honor feeling. Most right. of feeling and emotion. Most of life is not like just you know like math and science and history. Like it's about feeling. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about learning how to respond to the world in a way that's non-reactive, so that you can meet life's challenges and make meaning from them and continue you know, to grow and connect with others and offer uh, support to others. No one teaches that in school. Right. That's really, really, where that's a real, that's a real downfall, you know? Right. And a, and a lot of students might do well in school, but when they get out into the world, uh, they are suddenly lost because they don't know how to speak to people. They don't know how to write emails. They don't absolutely. know how to feel, like absolutely. you said, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I certainly agree. And so, uh, but I think things are changing, you know, like the innovations and kind of the trends that are in education now are, 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 are somewhere that they, it's much further along than, than, than when I was in school by far, you know, and so I, I think that we're getting there um, and, and I appreciate the work and the growth that I'm seeing. Um, I think we're, I mean, especially with the, the pandemic, I think that we were all forced to kind of rethink how we approach things just because everyone was sat down, you know, and just kind of stopped in our tracks. And so I think that things are going, I'm, I'm, opt, I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic um, and sometimes kind of uh, ridiculously so that, that things will get better and people will, will wake up or that we are awakening. Right. All right, Brandon, on that note, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was great sure. talking to you. Uh, so I'll see you at the Tony's then. <laughs> thank you. I'll see you there. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. You so thank much. you so much. Thank Have you. a good Bye. one. Have a nice day.